welcome in everyone. Look, I'm in a front with you guys. I think that Randy Heights and I, the Heisman Park Rangers, have cursed the Oklahoma football program since we have started our podcast here. The Sooners are 0-2, and it has looked ugly. I am Ryan Chapman alongside the Hall of Famer, Randy Heights. Before we dive into it, at Radio's Ryan, at RJ Heights 1077. Give us both a follow on Twitter. But Randy, the Sooners go into Ames. We all expected a big bounce back after their loss to Kansas State, and instead... For the first time since 1999, the Sooners have dropped two consecutive regular season games. For the first time since John Blake was on campus, the Sooners lose back-to-back conference games as they fall 37-30 to in Ames. Randy, what the hell? Uh, I wish I could explain it. I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, again, it's like the excuse bandwagon, but some of it's true. They're still a young team. They're making some young mistakes. But I think what the concern for me when I watch this team, it's funny. I've seen social media. I've seen a lot of people mention Spencer Rattler. To me, Spencer Rattler played well yesterday. You know, I mean, did he make some young mistakes? Yes. But in the grand scheme of things, he played pretty well. And what's funny is early on in the game and even late in the game, he did what I said he needed to do, you know, last week when I said, tuck the ball and run. You may not get 20, 30 yards like Kyler and Jalen, but it's given that threat. And what did it do? It opened up the middle of the field for him. And you look at that and you kind of wonder, all right, he's going to hopefully do that a little more as the season goes on. But the big concern for me still to this day is that offensive line. I mean, the running backs, not great, but they weren't horrible. But how many times, Ryan, when watching that game, did you see the running backs get the ball? And the defensive line was right there. No time to make a move. No time to do anything. Well, yeah, that's just my concern right there. And here's the problem. So the Iowa State defense only logged one official sack. So that comes out of your rushing yards, obviously. The Sooners averaged 3.5 yards per rush on the ground. Like, when is the last time an Oklahoma team looked so futile in more than one week? Like, sure, there's isolated incidents here or there. There are games. I know everyone likes to go back to 2016. Um, that game against Houston in the opener where Lincoln Riley kind of abandoned the run after they kind of got behind. And it's so like, yeah, there's isolated instance like that. But this was plain and simple, an Oklahoma team that could not run the ball. And and we knew that from the very first drive, first drive of the game, Lincoln Riley opts for a field goal on the one and a half yard line. Like when's the last time we have seen this Oklahoma team just have no faith and nothing at all. And, And it's one of those things that the same thing last week that killed them was making mistakes in key moments. It's not the mistakes that were made. It's when they were made. Obi-Obi-Obi-Alo not being able to land inbounds on third down on that opening play. He dropped what should have been a touchdown later on. You talk about the defense. There was the Trey Brown holding on on third and long that would have got him off the field. The very next plays that Hutchinson's 65 yard house call on just a stupid missed tackle. Like, it's the the mistakes that it's not the some of the mistakes. It's exactly when they happen. It's the wrong thing at the only time it can't happen, and and it costs the Sooners yet again. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you look at the game. The defense didn't play well, but at the at times they played really well. They they did their job, but it was just the simple fact, like you say, 
at times when they needed a play, when they needed a stop without making the mistake to give Iowa State the second chance, they didn't do it. I mean, look at the pass interference calls. I mean, when you look at that this weekend, I get some of it. It's funny. I look on Twitter again because it's always funny to watch the fan reaction, which let me attest again how much I hate the Oklahoma fans. So reactionary on everything. It's disgusting. But it's like they're saying bench Buki. I'm not defending Buki by any stretch. I said a week ago he played maybe his best all-around game I'd seen at Oklahoma. This week he played an awful game. He's an undersized safety. They've got six, four receivers across the board. You know, I I really don't know what they're going to do. And guys, guess what? The reason he's not benched, think about what's on that bench. Do we know of anything? And I'm pretty sure the coaches are in there. And they know on practice what these guys can do. Buki's a smart player. Yesterday, not as smart as game. It seemed like he took where where I had the problem with Buki, where on the two big plays in the first half, where he took wrong angles on making the tackle, which allowed the big run. It wasn't getting beat for, you know, a pass reception or anything like that or pass interference. Those were the plays because even under size, you run the right angle at making the tackle, you're running them into other defenders that can help back you up. Those are the plays. I think the other thing, you want to know one thing that I haven't heard anyone mention. I did listen to some of the radio broadcasts last night, and they mentioned it. I blame the equipment crew a little, too, on some of the defense in the first half. I mean, how many times offensively or defensively, Darian Turner yell, I believe it was on the first field goal drive for Iowa State, the receiver ends up being wide open, and even the TV guys didn't mention this. When you watch the replay of that game, Ryan, he slips and falls. Another time, Durian internal Yale gives up another wide-open receiver that he would have been there on. Why? Because he slipped and the guy ends up wide open. I'm like, how long does it take you to figure out what cleats you need to use on that ground? Right. I mean, again, not differences in the game. Didn't mean they win or lose because of it. But it's just like it seemed like it was from equipment manager down everywhere. Just had issues. And, and I can't explain it. And... It doesn't seem like the team's quitting. I'll give it to that. They fought. I mean, even that last play where Spencer threw the interception, Ryan, there was no doubt there was holding. I mean, the DB grabbed the jersey. And you think about Rambo's speed. I don't think he catches the ball. But guess what? I don't think he can make a play. The DB gets the interception either. Yeah, he knocks it away and they get one more line. So, I mean, that's where I think that's a big deal. I don't think he catches, but he makes a play there. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. I think the first thing I would say is, in my opinion, I think that like you kind of said initially, Spencer Rattler answered every single question we had coming out of that Kansas State game. I thought that Spencer Rattler was excellent all night long. I wouldn't even have to put the qualifier of he missed some throws that, you know, you would expect a freshman to miss or whatever, because when Spencer Rattler is missing throws other than the one or two under throws, which it doesn't matter who you have, those are going to happen. Um, I thought Spencer Rattler, most of his incompletions came from a place of extending a play and, and putting an NFL throw out there and not having NFL wide receivers right now to go out and catch that ball. We talk about Obi Obialo dropping, you know, basically he dropped one touchdown. He came out of bounds for another one. Theo Weiss straight up had a ball that should have been a, a perfect ball to extend the drive and maybe get near the end zone, fell right through his hands, all that stuff. And, and I, I kind of go back to the start of the third quarter when it had kind of gone south for Oklahoma because, oh, you had the ball, got it back up 17 to six. You're kind of expecting 
this is where we talked about this separation can happen. If, o, if OU wants to, to lay down a marker and be the team that can dominate other teams, you go down, you get a touchdown, you go up 24 to six and you bleed that clock a little bit and you send Iowa state to the locker room going shit guys. What, like, what do we do? We, we went out there, we gave him our best punch and you look up on the scoreboard and it's 24 to six at half. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and he came out in that third quarter and, and I thought the offensive line was porous especially on that first drive and and Spencer Rattler on what it was what third and 14 and he toughed it out yeah. gets about 10 11 yards and I was talking to our good friend Brady Trantham and this is the difference is he gets those 10 11 yards and then trucks through the defenders to get that extra three or four so that it's fourth and one and Lincoln Riley has the confidence to say we're going to sack up we're going to go for it we're going to be aggressive and, and I, I just think it was really the offensive line the uh the wide receiving core let them down. And like you said, the DBs, but here's, and I don't know the answer to this, Randy, because this is, this is the fact of the matter. Oklahoma does not have depth in the secondary that obviously Alex Grinch believes in, because what do we know of Alex Grinch? If he thinks a guy is worth anything, he will get snaps. The only real people we saw out there were Norwood and Woody Washington for a handful of plays. Like I I understand the frustration with Pat Fields. I get it not to pick on him, but he had two, probably he had his hands on three balls probably should have caught two of those three but you know everyone's like well what do you do what do you do the week one two deep randy i have that right in front of me you know who's listed as the backup for pat fields Who? justin Broyles or bryson washington we don't know anything about bryson washington i can't remember seeing him play a meaningful snap all year and uh do you remember this this game i believe it's a peach bowl we saw enough of Justin Broyles to say was Pat Fields bad sure Justin Broyles is not any better so I I guess the question is how much longer do you have to ride with a Pat Fields with a Trey Brown um, with a Brendan Radley Hiles until you are forced to throw some of those freshmen out there and see if maybe they're just, you know, when the lights come on, they compete. Like, I don't know if the answer is you have Texas coming up this weekend. I do not think unless things go south in the Cotton Bowl that you put freshmen in that situation. But I think OU's goal should be to, to limp through this Texas game, get a win by any means necessary. And then you walk in on Sunday of the bye week when you're doing film review and say Spencer Rattler's job is safe. Isaiah Thomas and Perion Winfrey, your jobs are safe. Marvin Mims, your job is safe. Everyone else we're competing. We're splitting reps all week. And, and someone proved to me that you want the first team reps heading into TCU. Well, you know, and, and you're right. I think that's part of it, but it's funny. You say Marvin Mims is safe. Hey, we may have dropped a pass, but that was the one that he got thrown to him at the time. I don't know if Marvin Mims is safe either, because to me, my thing is this, he's a freshman. I get it. And I'm not going to rip the kid, but he makes plays early and then disappears for the second straight week. You know, part of that, I'm sure, is Rattler and the way he looks. Part of it's the way the defense is playing him. But you got to get some more help just across the board. And some of that, you know, that's going to also come from, I think, where we look at this team that they're missing, that they haven't had. Really, they didn't even have it last year with Jalen Hurts. And I think maybe that's the reason he ran the ball so much last year. There's not that true safety blanket. Think back to two seasons ago. Mark Andrews for Kyler Murray, for Baker Mayfield, the true, true safety blanket. They don't have that right now. As good as Austin Stogner's been at times, he still doesn't seem to find that way on the third and three if they don't aren't running the ball to get open. They need to find that guy that the quarterback can trust throughout. 
And I don't think they have that. So maybe it's not as much the receiving core. It's the safety guy. Yeah, and a good call on Stogner. Stogner's another one that I, I say is penciled in, you know, pin him into the lineup. But I, I think they have that guy, Randy. And I think his name's Jeremiah Hall. Like, he was yeah. sure-handed there on, was it a third down or a fourth down late? Obviously, the two, you know, Spider 2 white banana touchdowns. Shout out John Gruden. I love my Raiders, but they're bad. Um, like, he got those two touchdowns there. Like, I think Jeremiah Hall needs to be that guy. And I think it makes a lot of sense, too, because it's not something like we're saying, oh, it needs to be a, a formation where they go three or four wide when really a lot of the times they needed to be in max protect because we have no confidence in that offensive line. Jeremiah Hall and Austin Stogner are both guys, and Stogner did it last night, that you can start them out in the backfield. You can chip an end or something like that and give the offensive line a little bit of help a little bit of delay out of the backfield and they should be able to pick up those short yardage. Like I think those two guys are there. I I think it's just going to take another week to say, look, we realize that this is what we're good at. This is what we're going to be. We need to adjust and make that be the emphasis. Cause like we predicted, we saw a little bit of Spencer Rattler getting rolled out of the pocket. And I think that helped Spencer because he knew, Hey, there's these handful of plays that they want me to roll out. I need to stick into the pocket on the other ones and and not make life harder on my offensive line. Like I think we saw all those things. And look, I know this is controversial, but I believe Lincoln Riley when he says that this team is close. I'm not ready to um, put a fork in him at all. The problem is that it's a mental thing, and I don't know if that is something that's going to be worked out because that we've seen tons of great players come through a lot of places, not just Oklahoma where they have all the physical tools and can't put it together mentally. That's the thing that you can't know that's on the players. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to be able to put it together, but it truly is just a handful. If there's, if you could pick out three or four plays here and there, the game's totally different, but I think this team is close. I'm not ready to count them out, but they have no margin for error the rest of the year. And they have not put a full 60 minutes on tape yet. No, no, you're right. And and I'm like you, and I think the mental side is what scares me a little because back to this team, we all forget this team's young. And sometimes bad things start happening, and you've seen it all the way from the college college level to the pro level with young teams when bad things continue to happen week after week after week. It's something that team can't shake for the rest of the year. So it is a little concerning. And I, I think I said it earlier, I still think this team, it shows the lack with them being young, missing spring ball and missing fall ball. You're everyone's had this. I'm not making excuses. Everyone's gone through the same thing, but I think you're seeing teams that are a little more veteran in certain spots that aren't having. Look at Iowa State. Purdy was a little more calm, cool, collected. That offensive line, that offense for Iowa State, again, a little more veteran than Oklahoma's unit. And it's kind of one of those deals when you look and go, hey. That, that could have made a big difference. I mean, let's look at OU's opponent this week. Texas' offense is pretty veteran. They are rolling right, right now. Texas's defense, new defensive coordinator, didn't have spring ball to help put that in place, didn't have all the time you normally get through an entire year when you're hired in the spring. And look how bad that defense is looking for Texas right now. You miss those extra time, that extra time, it's, it's a big killer because now instead of, learning in the spring and then using the fall to fine-tune things, you learned in the fall pre-season workouts, and now you're trying to fine-tune things during the season in games that matter. So I'm like you. I believe somewhat of what Riley's saying. They're not far away, and it's probably not as far as anyone realizes. And it could be one that that light switch finally goes off on the 
offense and the defensive head this week for Texas, or it may be two more weeks. It doesn't mean they lose all those games to that point because it does scare me. If they lose this week and it becomes a three-game losing streak, where did they go mentally? Right. And I just think that the best thing that you can say, and talking about specifically like the Brock Purdy example, this is what was... I don't know where I'm at with this. For once, it seemed like Brock Purdy did not look like a Heisman Trophy quarterback against this Oklahoma defense. That's been the trend the last four or five years. Brock Purdy was terrible for vast stretches of this game, yeah. but you know where he wasn't? It was third down. It was like a a pillow fight on who was going to be worse, and the OU defense was worse on third downs. Like The Cyclones were 6-10 of 10 on third down. Very efficient, but like Brock Purdy, if you look at his stat line, 12 of 24, so 50% for 250 and a touchdown. Oh, by the way, that touchdown was just a terrible missed tackle that was a, what, a 65-yard house oh, call or whatever. Awful. Yeah. Yeah, awful. So that's not on Purdy. That was a little slant. Same thing we saw last week. But Brock Purdy should have had should have had at least three interceptions. And when you talk about, okay, one of those drives, sure, uh, it was a punt anyway, but you would have taken three points off the board if Pat Fields' first one. You would have taken away that 65-yard touchdown pass if Buki could have caught it. And here's the thing. Uh, I know I said, you know, that second Pat Fields pick that should have been should have happened, they punted anyway. When Oklahoma finally got that turnover, when Isaiah Thomas finally pulled it loose, you know what we saw for the first time all night, Randy? We saw the Oklahoma offensive line look like they knew what the hell they were doing. They were mauling. They, they beat the crap out of Iowa State on that one drive, marched straight down the field. It was the easiest possession of the game. And can you imagine if that happens two, three times, you break the will of your opponent, but that's what it came back to last week. They couldn't put them away. They couldn't force that huge mistake that finally makes Kansas State mope around. Instead, Kansas State's thinking, we're beating ourselves here, not them. Same thing happened here. They couldn't force that mistake. And what happens? Finally, Purdy figures it out, gets it rolling late, 37 to 30 Oklahoma's lost two straight games it's it's infuriating and, and I just don't understand because it's not like this was one of those things that hey you know there was the excuse of Skylar Thompson they, they made the adjustment Kansas State did to get the ball out of their hands quickly it's hard to jump those routes things like that um, Oklahoma kept every, Kansas State in front of them just missed tackles straight up balls were being thrown directly into the hands of Oklahoma defenders and they still couldn't pull it down like i I do not know what to do. It is blatantly apparent that it is a mental block at this point, especially for that secondary. And it's one of those things that the freshman may not be ready, but putting one in at a time, maybe Jeremiah Cradell comes in for a few plays and he's the one that actually uses the gloves, has some stick them. He gets that interception and maybe finally there, the corners start to see everyone go, Oh my gosh, we're allowed to catch the ball. Maybe that's what turns the tide. But uh, it's that old thing. It's insanity, Randy. We are seeing the same exact secondary rolled out over and over, and it's the same problems we've seen for years. No, no doubt. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I don't know what it takes because as bad as we sit here and say the secondary played and the defense played at times, those plays you just mentioned, if they get those interceptions, I think the defense plays a lot better because I think what you're saying is true. They break the will of Iowa State. And to be honest with you, it was so disheartening watching this game in the sense of they get the fumble, they get the, you know, go easily score. If they just get a normal kickoff return, I'm honest with you here, Ryan, when I say 
that game's over. You saw the will of Iowa State. You saw the momentum of that defense. You saw the momentum of that offense going. And it was almost like, even though the defense could have stood strong and held them to a field goal, it was like when they returned it that far, it was almost like the defense goes, dang, you know, we did our job once. And granted, it was once. And then this happened. Back against the wall again. Instead of getting the chance to go, hey, we did our job. They went and got a score. They've got to go 85 yards on us or 60 yards on us. We can make the plays to make the stop. It was almost like that ripped the defense's heart out again. Almost like, here we go, our back's up against the wall when we didn't do anything wrong on this drive. Now, that's a poor me thing for the defense, but still, it did not help them at all at that point in time, momentum-wise or, I think, confidence-wise. Well, And I think that's where – so I've seen a lot of people the last – if we're going to include this, the last two games in reaction to it on Twitter, I've seen a lot of people say this team just feels like they're entitled to show up and win these games. I really don't feel like I agree with that at all, but special teams is an area where that is something that has to be instilled in camp and spring ball that look, it doesn't matter if you are five star greatest thing since sliced bread. If you are selected to go out there and be on, on the punt safe team to be on kick return, Like you need to work your ass off and get down there because yes, nine times out of 10, that's routine. But the one time you don't make that play, it completely flips the game. We saw that with the block punt last week. Now you have that huge kickoff return this week. This is back-to-back moments where Shane Beamer is supposed to be the special teams guy. That is the family for special teams brought them in. That was supposed to be after the Rose Bowl where, you know, people said the squib kick is what, you know, turned the tide for Georgia to get back in it. That is an area that OU is supposed to excel at. And for that to be the two spots that are really the huge momentum flips like that, that to me is the most unacceptable thing I can look. If you want to talk about the offensive line and say, due to contact tracing, things like that, they haven't been able to work together, which is why I think we're seeing Swenson, because that means that you have five guys that work together. Like, okay, I don't necessarily agree with it, but that, the special team stuff is where I question the discipline and the mentality of this team, because Randy, this has been something that has been the case since Lincoln Riley has ascended to the head coach. The offense is not disciplined. There are too many holdings, too many procedural penalties. And while the offense is putting up record numbers, I can be okay with that. I guess that's something that you have to clear up. If you want to go from playoff team to national champion right now, this is just a good offense. It's not a, you know, record setting offense. Like it's just going to put up good numbers with Spencer Rattler, but it's going to have huge mistakes. If that's the case, this offense cannot have those procedural penalties. It cannot have that. If it's going to try and prop up the defense. And this is where I think the biggest question has to be asked of Lincoln Riley and this coaching staff. Uh, no doubt. And, and I think you're right there. You've got to have an offense that supports the defense a little more. I think the reason we saw the improvement out of the defense and I'll go back to two years ago. If Alex Grinch was the defensive coordinator with Baker Mayfield, I think they beat Georgia. If he's the defensive coordinator, you know, the next year with Kyler Murray as quarterback with that offense, I'm not going to say they beat Alabama, but I think it's a very close competitive game because then you're complementing your defense, you know, and that's what they're missing this year because the offense is good as it is, and it's good. They're making too many mistakes that continues to put your defense in a bad spot. And I will both admit, it's a defense that's not a world-beating defense. They're a solid defense. But I think anyone that thought they were going to be any better than a 
top 25, top 35 defense at best this year was fooling themselves because we've talked about this. It's going to take Grinch a couple of years to get his players in there. You talk about the secondary. They're not, they're not on campus right now, all the guys like he likes to play with. He's getting those guys in in these recruiting classes. So it's going to take time, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. He's doing a makeshift defense to run what he wants to run without the guy, without having the guys he wants to run. Yeah, and, and I mean, we've talked about this, but both sides of the ball, it, it's the perfect storm of you're having to replace, like, let's just run down the offense real quick. So obviously you have a new quarterback coming in, redshirt freshman Spencer Rattler. He's flashed at times, but also you're having to replace C.D. Lamb. So on top of, it's one thing if you're replacing your quarterback and you've got a guy that's established like a C.D. Lamb, like a Marquise Brown, someone like that that could come in, be a safety blanket. We've already said he doesn't have a safety blanket yet. So you're having to break all that in. Oh, by the way, Trajan Bridges suspended. Oh, by the way, Jaden Hazelwood, someone that, you know, kind of flashed some potential last year, hurt. Then you move to the running game. Okay, well, they want to lean on the run game. Then, oh, just so not so fast. Trey Sermon, he transfers. Kennedy Brooks, they opt out. Like, it's just any one of these things on any other year. We've seen Oklahoma replace that and be fine. Yes, things are different, but they're just as good. I think it's just one or two too many things on both sides of the football. Like, Oklahoma couldn't survive losing Ronnie Perkins, which – Rumors swirling. It looks like he might be back in time for Texas. It was really close, it sounds like, due to reports um, if he could get cleared for Iowa State or not. But it sounds like he'll be back for Texas. Okay, you get him back. But at this point, I'm not sure that Ronnie Perkins coming back solves what's going on in the defense. Because if Texas takes a page out of Kansas State's book and and goes to that short passing game, you're then saying, okay, like if I'm any offensive coordinator, I want to put the game on Oklahoma secondary because they've proven t- two times in a row they cannot for four quarters go out and tackle and cover and, and keep OU in a game. Well, I will say this. I think where he does solve a lot of that problem defensively, even with a quick passing game, Oklahoma, I thought at times, had guys get a little exhausted on the pass rush. So he gives you at least that one guy extra that is the best pass rusher on the team. You know, especially without Jalen Redmond in this year or anything. So bar none, I, I think you're right. I, I It doesn't totally solve it, but it does help some of the defensive thing, even in a quick passing game. Now, the safety blanket, it's funny. I hear a lot of people act like, oh, is it the skill players? I, I'm tired of that because let's not forget, Theo Weiss, uh, Hazelwood, like you mentioned, Weiss is there. But here's the deal. Both of them were one and two in the nation at wide receiver position. It's not like, oh, you missed on the top two receiver in the country. Well, you got what I think a lot of people forget about. Yes, both those guys played last year. Now, Hazelwood's out with the injury. Weiss is playing. But even though they played last year, think about the receiving core they had last year with a veteran quarterback. He, of course, had C.D. Lamb. He went with Grant Calcaterra for half the season, back to a safety blanket. And then you had the Basquin. You know, he was there, another veteran receiver. They used the veteran receivers more, and maybe you look at it and go, dang, here, if they could have just developed these guys a little more, the young guys, they wouldn't be in this spot. Because I think that's the big difference. And to be honest, the other big difference, we all want to talk about the young guys, and a lot of people are ripping them. Rambo's been good, but Rambo has not stepped up yet because that's what they're missing. When you look at the lineage of OU's receiving core, They've always had, let's see, Sterling Shepard to Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown to C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb to 
Rambo should have been the guy to give your Weeses, your Hazelwoods, that time to step up and be the number two guy while Rambo's the easily number one guy. Rambo hasn't stepped up and taken that role of the number one guy like you've seen through the lineage of the Oklahoma wide receiver position. Yeah, and that's a huge problem. And then, like you said, that they tried to bring in, they recognized, okay, maybe for one year they might be a little thin, tried to bring in Theo Howard, Obi Obialo. Like, I don't, I don't think either of those guys belong in a Oklahoma wide receiver room the last two or three years. Like you're telling me either one of those guys comes in. I'm telling you that they, they're they probably the transfer fodder for once uh, you, you sign two five-star wide receivers and a high four-star and Trajan Bridges and then whatever we want to call Austin Stogner. You know what I mean? Like those guys are the ones that were leaving town. They're, they're not the ones that can come in and we haven't seen it. They haven't stepped up in Obialo. You know, it's just – you get so few opportunities because of the talents on the field. He was targeted twice. He should have had two touchdowns. Oklahoma got yeah. instead nothing. They got a field goal and, you know, two field goals there. You know what I mean? So stuff like that is the difference in the game. And when you go on the road and you're just, you, you don't have a dominant defense, it, it's those moments that you have to take advantage of. That's why it was stunning that Lincoln Riley kicked that field goal on the opening drive because you're telling me like that's when when the defense is the most fresh should be when they haven't touched the damn field yet. You're telling me that. OK, so we give Iowa State the ball on the one and a half yard line. You know what I mean? Like, sure, they have the momentum if we stopped them. But you're saying we move the ball at will. We got to punch that in for a touchdown. Well, and especially because the drive later when Rattler convinces him to go for it, you know, and that's to me at a more precarious situation on the field. You're closer to the 50-yard line. I'm like you. I mean, yes, the defense had had a bad second half against Kansas State. But in the first half against Kansas State, they played pretty well. So I'm still speechless to that moment because I'm like, why didn't you go for it? You're telling me you don't have confidence in your defense? Because if you're trying to build your defense's confidence, like you say, the opening drive, you don't have faith they're going to stop them from going 99 yards, which they gave a field goal up, you know, after – the kickoff guess what they probably don't give that up look at the distance they drove and stopped them it's like right and also how about giving your offensive line try to feed them a little confidence at that point in time hey you can get us this one and a half yards and, and i will say this i love seth mcgowan but late in the game i started noticing something you can tell he's a young running back and what i mean by that it's kind of what i said about rattler last week knowing hey, I'm the best guy on the field. I can do what I want in high school. You can tell Seth that way too. There were a couple of plays before it got desperate for Oklahoma where McGowan tried to reverse field all the way across instead of just going, hey, get the two or three yards, stop dancing. That's where I think late in the game until McGowan grows up, you've got to have pleasure in the game because I did like a couple of things I saw out of pleasure last night where he ended up getting six or seven yards because he went, hey, here's a hole, I'm going to juke left, juke right, I'm going to get my six yards. I'm going to get my four or five yards. And I think that's the difference in the running backs right now too. So some of the running backs can help the offensive line problem, I guess is what I'm trying to say as well. You know, it's just very interesting. I I think the one that really stood out was the one that, you know, uh, McGowan tries to switch fields and he's basically trying to direct Rattler to go throw the block out there on the linebacker. And I'm like, I'm like, bro. I get that Baker Mayfield goes and throws that block. Baker Mayfield is just built a little bit different. Like that's what every defensive coordinator is saying. Yes, 
please, we will take this 15 yard targeting. Even if we get it, if we can blow up a quarterback in the open field, trying to throw a block, like, like you were saying, and, and you have to know, you have to know, and this is where DeMarco Murray just kind of coach him up. You don't have a ton of confidence in your offensive line right now. When they give you a clean hole, that's when you hit it hard. You can do some dancing, trying to hit the home run. If you know you're going to get smashed in the backfield, you just have to plant your foot and do everything you can to fall forward, get as many yards as you can, and just chalk that up to that's going to be one of our negative plays. The next one's probably going to be better, so let's not kill ourselves here on this one. And and, and like I said, if Ramondra Stevenson isn't suspended, you can maybe withstand the Sermon transfer and the Kennedy Brooks opt-out, but there it's just a step too far, and it feels like it's that way at too many positions right now for this football team to, to overcome. And, and that's been the difference in years past. They've been, they've had a ton of problems. There have been a ton of close games played over the last three seasons by this Oklahoma Sooners team. And in the end, they are just good enough to escape every time. What you're seeing now is yes, they've got that same high level talent. They just don't have as much depth because they're all incredibly young. And I think that's why a lot of these guys aren't escaping, but now the problem is it's okay once it's okay twice. It's okay to, you know, be eight and two in the big 12 championship game and say, we were too young to escape twice. But if, like you said, if you can't do that against Texas and it's three straight games and it goes from a young team growing up to a, to a backheel slide, you are now in danger of losing a lot of these guys and you're going to have to start all over. And that would be catastrophic to everything that OU has been trying to build because it, it feels like, Lincoln Riley's been a little Teflon to the failures in the playoff due to the fact that you can lean on the defense needing another year or two for depth, but you know, the, the glitz and the glamor and, and how they recruit and all that stuff. It feels like they've been a little Teflon. The second that you start dropping a seven and three, even in this year, I don't care how nice your social media campaign is. That's going to kill you on the recruiting trail. And they're already fighting an uphill battle, not being the university of Texas or Alabama or Clemson. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think that's one of the concerns they'll have going into this. The saving grace, to be honest, is the recruiting class they've got going right now. I don't think you see guys backing out of commitments because they see the way the program's going. And I'll agree, 7-3 and 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 8-2, it's not going to help in recruiting. The key is, overall, in the grand scheme of things, you don't want that, but you can't have a back-to-back it's like you start worrying in this offseason. You try to fix everything you can now, but you, and to me now, it's limiting what you've got wrong. Capitalizing on what you do well. And to me, what you do well right now, offensively, it's the screen pass. I like the fact the shovel pass. Where was that? I'm not saying you used that 100 times. They did it once and it went for 50 yards. That's something that can be brought out one more time, two more times with different guys. That's where you've got to do things because at a certain point with the defense, it's maintaining ball control. It, it's keeping those short screen passes. You know, like you mentioned, Jeremiah Hall, use him a little more as that safety blanket where it's a four or five yard pickup. You're just getting first downs. It's kind of like Mike Leach used to always say and still does when you watch his games. The passing game when done right is the running game. If you're right. getting four yard screens, you know, every time, guess what? Three, four yard screens, that's 12 yards. That's a first down. And then it opens up more. So you got to figure out, and I'm kind of interested to see what they do this week because if you got to see any of that Texas game yesterday, Texas's defense, we can rip OU's defense all we want. 
I think Texas's defense is just as bad as Oklahoma's defense, if not worse. This is two weeks in a row they've gotten roasted. They got away with it in Lubbock with a miraculous comeback by Sam Ellinger. But that defense, oh my, I don't even know what to say about it. And so it's going to be a big test for Oklahoma's offensive line this week because, well, if they can't stop Texas defensively, they're in trouble. Big, big trouble. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it, and it just feels like what we've seen out of Texas Tech and TCU now is if you can just get to that second level clean, your running back's probably got as good a chance to take it to the house as he does to, you, you know, just pick up a first down or get stopped short. So I'm interested to see. And this is something that you, you talk about Mike Leach. I think another guy that OU needs to look at, and I know this is going to be controversial and I know you podcast, but Look at what Mike Gundy has done for the better part of a decade in Stillwater. They have never had, even when they have a good offensive line, they've never had the depth to withstand one injury to that offensive line. So what do they have? That cowboy back, that H-back position, which I think everyone would agree as good as the cowboy backs have been. I believe Jeremiah Hall when he says he feels like they have the most talented H-back room in the country. I'm with them. There has to be something that Lincoln can do to get creative as far as He's got to use those H-backs, like we said, maybe to help chip and then they can get downfield because they're more athletic than just, you know, blocking tight ends. But there has to be something and we just are not used to seeing it as far as um, getting creative to manufacture the run game because Bill Beanbow's offensive lines have been so good. But look, I'm, I'm about ready to put a fork in Swenson, like roll with Anton Harrison. If this is going to be and I don't know at what point it hits that breaking point on the defense of you're not playing for a national title this year. So right. if you're going if you're going to to fall short of expectations at what point do you not say, "Hey, we are going to go ahead, roll out the young guys, get them the experience for next year so that next year you can bounce back and say, "Yeah, we took it on the chin, but we got a lot of young guys, a lot of big time experience and that leadership problem not going to be a thing next year that worry about who can we give snaps to yeah we've given it to everyone and we already know who's ready to roll and who we just need to trim the fat and move on from i'm right there with you and and what i don't get going back to your secondary or not secondary too deep chart you brought up and i get maybe they haven't got to work out as much together but how is harrison listed as the starter before week one and whether he was covid positive whether he was in quarantine how has he not played more than what he did? And I don't care about the holding calls in the first half because evidently he's the most talented guy at that position. I mean, that's at least the way I would interpret the depth chart. Everyone's holding. So at that point in time, why is he not playing? Back to what you're saying. Even if it's in losses, he's getting the snaps. He's getting ready for next year because he's evidently the guy you believe in going forward. Guess what? It's time to put, turn the page to the going forward part. Swenson is killing you. And it's not a defense of the, I mean, I'm not just ripping him, but the rest of the line struggling. But how much of maybe the rest of the line, like Hayes making a hold here and there, Robinson making a hold here and there. Some of that is because they're trying to make up for the other spots on the offensive line that if Harrison's in there, those guys can just do their job and stop, and not have to worry about so much picking up the slack from everyone else. I mean, that, that's just where I'm at. Play the guys you listed as first team on that depth chart before game one and roll with it. It's time. I mean, you've got to make the change, especially when Bill Biedenboe 
who never, he never, in all his years at Oklahoma, even with the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, talked up an offensive line like he did this year in the preseason. And that's where I'm like, all right, this isn't the line Shirley was talking up. He had to be talking about with Harrison in the group, with God knows who else in the group. But it's time to see that group that he talked up at the beginning of the year. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We have a whole podcast dedicated to this just weird as hell OU Texas week that's about to be. Both teams coming in off a loss. Going to be, what, 15,000 fans, I think, is what I saw in the Cotton yeah. Bowl. All this stuff. We have we have plenty of time to get into that later this week. But it's just, it, it's the same thing there. Like, there, there's less spots on the offense as far as, like, I, I'm out on the Obi Obialo get those young guys to reps you think things like that. We talk about the Harrison. I, I, was... I, I think that this week is the last, it's going to be the last stand in my opinion for a lot of these defensive guys that have been there for a long time and continued to make the same mistakes because uh, it, it's about to be put up or shut up time. If you're staring three straight losses in the face. Uh, I, I agree with you, and, and I'll say this in Obialo. I mean, he didn't get to play in the first game because of COVID and everything like that. I, I'm willing to give him a little chance just to have another veteran guy, a guy that's got some time, but even though Theo Howard caught the ball, evidently he's not getting open. In the grand scheme of things, I'm with you. Regardless of who it is, it's time to let the young guy step in and be the good go. Just look at the Theo Weiss. If Trajan Bridges gets back in a week or two after suspension, Put him in there. If Hazelwood's able to come back off that injury here in a week or two, put him in there and go, guys, you're it. Mims and you three, you're our receiving core because they do have two losses. Is all lost to win the Big 12 again? Not necessarily. That could still happen. But getting to the college football playoffs pretty out. So if you're playing the veterans thinking it was your best shot to get back to the playoffs, that's going to take a wing and a prayer to make that move. So what it's time to do now is play the young guys, see what you've got, let them develop, let them be there, because those are going to be your guys you're looking at next year. I mean, another guy, you know, look at, what is it, Mikey Jones? He's the, or Henderson, Mikey Henderson. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy you heard all sorts of talk about. We haven't seen him really that much. We saw Missouri State. Let the young guys fill those roles. Let them be, do the job. See what you've got talent-wise, athletic-wise. And let them go, and I'm definitely with you on the defensive guys. It, it's time to start seeing what some of these young defensive guys can do. Maybe they don't get all the snaps, but they get a few more snaps than they have before. Yeah, and I'm not saying that, you know, all of a sudden Jeremiah Cradell needs to play, you know, 90% of the snaps or whatever, but I, I just, it, I think if you get into that second half and you start to see the same leaks start popping, it's time to bring someone else in and just say, look, I know what's going to happen. Eventually, Buki's going to miss a tackle on a slant and someone's going 60 yards. So let's throw someone else out there. If they go for 60 yards, I mean, it's the same result. You know what I mean? And, and I know you can't look right. at it that way as a coach, but with us, you know, being on the sideline, not getting paid to make these decisions, if the result's the same, I'd rather the, the youngster make the mistake and, and learn from it because obviously the problem is this crop is not learning from their mistakes. Yeah, and, and I think that's the problem. And I do think maybe some of it's mental, like you say. And that goes for the blown coverages. That goes for the dropped interceptions. They have been so shell-shocked for a three-year window, these guys that are juniors. I, I think some of it is mental. So maybe putting those young guys in there, 
letting them learn on the fly. And I know what you said about Justin Broyles. I haven't given up all hope on him as a young athletic guy. He got put in a bad situation against a dominant defense or offense last year in LSU. I would have rather seen him get some snaps last night than three times seeing Buki make bad plays. And it sounds like I'm ripping him. And I've kind of been a Buki defender over the years to a degree. So I'm not against him continuing to play, but I'm also not against rotating in the Broyles, the Cradell, letting everyone get their shot. I mean, you want it? And he didn't make any glaring mistake last night. But if you can continue to see Brian Mead going at linebacker, guess what? You can continue to see Justin Broyles. You can continue to see Cradell go in, see those guys get chances because Mead's been a killer too. And so right. why aren't you rotating the other guys in, I guess, is my big thing. Well, and I think that kind of falls back on just, we know that the coaching staff believes they're close. They've said that much. And I think that's the problem, that they truly are so close. They're like, it's crazy to think that after two straight losses, they are erasing two or three negative plays on defense away from the conversation is, well, OU's winning these games, but they're struggling to close it out. And that's kind of the team that we thought we'd see this year. You know, it's going to be a return to the shootout, you know, and that's kind of what we thought they would be. They're two or three plays away from being that team. So I just think it'll be really interesting to see. It'll be really interesting talking to Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and the players this week. Last week, we saw that look in their eye of they looked like they had responded correctly. They looked like they had taken the loss to heart and they came out and played that way for about the first quarter and a half. And then it just kind of reverted to not as bad as we saw against Kansas State, but bad enough. I'm interested to see because now it's a matter of it's happened twice. Is is it going to be somebody else that steps up? Is there going to be a different voice that steps up? Or if if they look the same come Monday and Tuesday, if it's the same kind of vibe, do we buy into that? Or do we think that it's just all, you know, lip service? It, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I don't know. I, I will say this, and, and it didn't pay off in the end of the game. And, and this is, I mean, because we could rehash this game all day long. But I, I think the one thing, in some aspects, I take out of this game as positive moving ahead. Because I've heard some people, like say, again, almost rip Rattler, wonder if he's as good as they thought. Look at his numbers, folks. He's as good as we thought. He's just got some issues. The one thing I was positive about it, some of the leadership role he did take up, and it was in the first half when he convinced Riley, we need to go for this here. And what they did is they converted it. He's showing moments as a young guy of taking on that true big-time leadership role, which you want your quarterback in. So there's a positive. On the defensive side, I, a little bit of positive. You, you, I'll try to look for those because it seems like all we've been is negative in some ways on this podcast today after two straight losses. I think for a positive to me for two straight games, that defensive line has played pretty well. They just need to Absolutely. get that help on the back end. You know, so, I mean, Let's look at what Winfrey's done. Let's look at what, you know, Isaiah Thomas, other guys. He, I mean, he's coming. It's been great. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. I mean, you look at some of those guys. Heck, Joshua Ellison last night, you know, was back there on that fumble recovery. He was back in there. You look at this defensive line. I think you're seeing back to, let's go back to this. Back to what I've been saying about Grinch. It's going to take him, especially in the secondary. Last year's recruiting class, this year's recruiting class. 
and maybe even next year's recruiting class for the secondary to truly get where he wants. You look at the defensive line, he's been able to go out and find a couple of JUCO guys to mix in there to be the defensive line he wants. And maybe that's what he's going to have to do this year, go get another couple of secondary guys out of the JUCO ranks to speed that process along to be the bridge gap for the young guy. And, and maybe that's what we'll see out of him because that's where I think they're missing. So if you want a positive, it's what the defensive line's done. And then those linebackers, I'm not down on them. I think White and I thought Asamoah played well. They're just, again, they're filling in for a former first, or not for a former, but for a first-round draft pick, Kenneth Murray, that left. You know, these guys are picking up the slack at that guy, and we know what all-worldly Kenneth Murray was. And that's, I think, the one difference in this team. If you have Kenneth Murray, I think they win the last two games just because he would have taken charge of that defense, and they would have made just one or two more plays. This year, they don't have that guy. It's looking for that vocal leader right now. And I said it last week, I was hoping Buki's play against Kansas State was a step in towards him being able to take over that leadership role. Well, you played so well, Buki, against K-State that then it turned like crap against Iowa State, so it's hard to get your message across to the other guys. They need that leader now. That's what they're missing. Yeah, they, they need to they need to find that one guy who, in the first half, when... Sure, Iowa State, you know, gained a lot of yards between the 20s when they turn back in and the defense is able to flex their muscles and force a field goal. They, they just need to find, I think, that one guy who can take that message and, and go into the third quarter and in that huddle say, look, guys, two, three times today, instead of giving up the touchdown, we gave up the field goal. We just need to find that one more time because because like you said, um, the defensive line has been playing great and it's just they aren't that far away, but if it happens one more time, it becomes a mentality thing. And I, I think mentally you're just going to you're in danger of really losing it and it getting pretty ugly. But it, it'll be interesting there for the second straight week. We're curious how a team's going to respond. And look, I think it's pretty safe to say that if you can't go out there, respond and, and lay down a performance worthy of your spot in the Cotton Bowl, then maybe this season it's just not going to be it for you. Yeah, no no doubt. I mean, and that's the thing. It, it's put up or shut up time for them. I mean, hey, Texas has a loss. You've got two losses. You need to start winning some tiebreakers because when you factor in, uh, look at look at the conference. It's not great. I think if you can hold steady right here, that's, that's why this week is so big. You can hold steady because you don't have to finish number one in the Big 12 to make the Big 12 title game. You can you can finish second and still potentially win a Big 12 title. And that's where I say this game is so huge. You want to have that tiebreaker with Texas. You already need K-State to lose three. You need Iowa State now to lose three. You cannot afford to put yourself in a spot against a team that may not lose three games, Texas, in this conference. I feel okay with where they're at in the sense of being – with a K-State, there's a good shot K-State loses three games in this conference. There's a good shot the way Iowa State plays year in and year out. They stub their toe and lose three games. You know, if Oklahoma State stays undefeated, so be it. Other than the game, you, you've got to beat them. But you get what I'm saying? That That's well, why yeah. this game to me is so important. Yeah, because you can uh... – Basically, you become the biggest fans of the Cowboys. You can say if we can, if you as a team can go in and, and beat Oklahoma State and then root for them to beat everyone else, there's that one loss back that you need. Same thing with Texas. You give them their second loss, then you can go off and say, Texas, 
run through the rest of the conference. There's that second loss for everyone else. The math becomes really simple. Someone between Iowa state right. and Kansas state has to lose. You know what I mean? It, it becomes very simple. Um, all is not lost, but this is the week that if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen this week. Cause I think that great shot to make it with two losses. You go to three and it goes next to zero. Yeah. I mean, it would take, Oh, I don't even know what kind of miracle. I mean, literally, you know, but I'll say this with the losses in our era of COVID, it just takes one quarantine team to mess somebody up that's winning. And I'm not rooting for that, but I'm just saying for Oklahoma fans, that's one reason why I don't think this team can lose faith. We don't know what's going to happen in 2020. I think that's the one thing we've discovered in college football. Heck, look at the NFL today. Already one game postponed for a couple of weeks because of the outbreak. Look at what's happened with Kansas City, New England. It's postponed to tomorrow. It's a fluctuating year, and you never know what's going to happen. So you got to keep your head up. But I am worried if they lose this week, it's going to be hard to keep their heads up. So big week, and I know we'll talk about and break down the Texas game on our next podcast, Ryan. But it is going to be extremely, extremely crazy. For sure. Stay tuned for that. Like I said, We've got two straight days of talking to players. We'll have all that stuff for you, as well as our breakdown of Texas. And and hopefully, let's be honest, this Texas team has been known to float some bulletin board material out there. Maybe that's just what the Sooners need is for some Longhorns to pop off yet again. But uh, I'm excited for it. Look, it's OU Texas week, and, and however weird it is, it's the best week of the year. No, no doubt. And, you know, it's kind of funny. We talk about bulletin board board material and we'll get into it later but you know it's crazy and i'm not going to say coaching staff's under fire norman on either side at all they're not i mean everyone knows where they're at what they're doing but talk about a weird week that we're going to be able to talk about the amount of heat tom herman is feeling after this past week it's off the charts i mean it was all there for them to win so i think that's what's going to be funny to watch and interesting to watch as this week goes on, how vocal Texas players are, and if they are that way, how Tom Herman acts going into this week as opposed to if they were undefeated, because they're about 90 seconds away from being in OU's same position of two straight losses going in to Dallas. So it's going to be weird, and it's going to be fun to talk about this week. Well, you know, Randy, Gary Patterson doesn't do that much. He just is, you know, seven and two against the Longhorns since the Big 12 conference. Welcome TCU. So, you know, gotta, gotta love Tom Herman. Okay. That's all the damage we can do. Um, just cause Iowa state has already damaged everyone that's listening to this podcast. So that's all we've got. Put a bow on it. The Sooners dropped their second straight 37 to 30. But like we said, it's Texas week. People get out your beat Texas hats and we will talk to you guys on Wednesday. 